Hi, welcome to the podcast of An English Prof Reads the Bible. I'm your host, Megan, and in this podcast, I use what I know about reading literature to help you read the Bible. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, we're going to be talking about, drumroll please, Psalm 23. I actually wasn't originally going to do this psalm because it's so very well studied, but I reconsidered. Um, there's good things to talk about in this psalm, and honestly, if it, we're going to study it and we're going to read it uh, so much, we may as well do so knowledgeably, uh, with the ability to consider some of its literary elements. So, let's dive right in. Let me start by reading the psalm, and then I'll give you a little bit of a preview of where we're going. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this episode, I want to concentrate on verses 1 through 4, and we'll dip our toe into verses 5 through 6 towards the end. We're going to be reviewing imagery and implied meanings, and we're also going to be talking about uh, connections. So, something that I want you to notice right off the bat with verse 1 is that it says that the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, This indicates belonging, but of course the the sheep does not get to choose which shepherd he wants. Uh, The sheep does not go around and go shepherd shopping. Rather, the shepherd chooses or selects his sheep. The shepherd is the one who brings them into his fold. What this indicates then is that we belong to God. And we might think by the framing of the sentence, the Lord is my shepherd, that this is a uh, choice that we have made. We have uh, decided to make the Lord our shepherd, as though we're granting him some favor. And it's actually the other way around. God is choosing us to belong to him. He is the one who's taking us in. We belong to him, but we are dependent on him. And in light of that, the structure and the connections in this psalm are interesting. We've talked about repeated patterns, but we haven't actually talked about structure and stanzas yet. And I want you to notice something about the structure and stanzas in Psalm 23. Notice that there are three of them. Uh, The first one is verses 1 through 3. The second one is just verse 4. And the third one is verses 5 through 6. We can tell this because there's the extra, extra break between the stanzas, but also because of some of the verbs. Notice that for the most part in verses 2 through 3, we have a lot of sentences that begin with the word he plus a verb. He makes, he leads, he restores, he leads. And then in the second stanza in verse 4, it begins with uh, the word I and then a verb. I will fear. And then in the second half of verse 4 and in the verses 5 through 6, the dominant word structure is the word you plus a verb. You prepare. You anoint. And then it ends with an I will. And I find the connections are the difference, the movement from he to I, 
to you. Really interesting here. So let's move through the psalm and see what we can get out of, out of the connections between those words. The first stanza is the one that begins with all the he plus a verb. And of course, the he refers to God. And so it raises the question, well, what kinds of things is God doing here? And there are four of them. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Let's work through these using the implied meaning to tease out uh, what, what God is doing here. When the psalm says, he makes us lie down in green pastures, green is, of course, indicates something that's growing, lots of grass. It's summertime right now, and everything around me is so, so green. And for a sheep, this is really good news. If you're in a green pasture and everything is growing, then there is lots and lots of food. And that means that for us, God is making abundant provision. He's giving us lots of food. I think that we should re read this as spiritual provision because of course God is not our physical shepherd in in literal day-to-day -day life. He's our, our spiritual shepherd. And so it suggests that God is making an abundant provision of our spiritual needs. And then the psalm goes on, he leads me beside still waters. Still, of course, I've heard it said, refers to the fact that the water is smooth, it's not turbulent. Uh, this makes it a whole lot easier for the, for the sheep to drink. And it affirms what we learned in the previous sentence, that God is providing for us, uh, making abundant provision for us. But I also think there's something else worth noting noting. When it says he leads us beside still waters, if we look forward to the New Testament, Christ is identified as the water of life. And so I believe it's significant here that God leads us to the waters, which is analogous to Christ, because it suggests that God is bringing us alongside Christ, that he is bringing grace into our lives. In the third sentence, the psalmist says that God restores his soul. The word restores implies brokenness. We restore old furniture, or we restore a sick person to life, or we restore a relationship. In this case, the furniture or the health or the relationship are all, are all broken. They need healing. And so here, it implies that our soul is broken and it is in need of healing which we receive from God, uh, from his action and his grace to us. He returns us to a state of spiritual well-being. And then we have the fourth section where the psalmist says, God leads me in paths of righteousness. I want you to notice, uh, this is something else worth noticing when we're talking about connections and structure is repeated phrases. And here, the word leads, God leads me, is repeated from two sentences earlier. He leads me beside still waters, and here God is leading me in paths of righteousness. The repetition suggests a connection with the still water, and I think the connection with the still water could suggest three different things about God leading me in paths of righteousness. First, it suggests that, you know, as the still water represents peace for the sheep, that righteousness and the paths of righteousness will bring peace into our lives. Uh, maybe not physical peace, we'll still have hard times, but we will have spiritual peace through those hard times. Um, it suggests, too, that as the water provides sustenance for the sheep, so righteousness provides spiritual sustenance for people. 
And then it also suggests that as the water represents Christ, who graciously comes into our lives and provides for us, that the righteousness here is equated by grace. When God leads us in paths of righteousness, that's something he he does to us uh, by grace. Notice the that this is an action verb. God leads me uh, along this worn path of righteousness. We are not trailblazers. We are not forging out our own paths of righteousness. We are following the markers. I was in Europe years ago during college, and if you travel there along the paths, they are marked with a color so you know that you're going along the right way. And this is what God does to us, is he's leading us along uh, his right way, and we are, we are following him the way we would follow those colored markers in Europe. This brings us to the second stanza. Here, the pronouns switch from he will to I will. And because the he will comes first and then is followed by the words I will, this suggests that God is the actor and that our later action is provoked or made possible by his. You can think of it like a student who, you know, I have students all the time who turn in their work diligently, who do a good job on their work, who attend every class, and at the end of the semester, I give them an A. And the student there has done the important part. My giving them an A is only a natural response to their previous work. It comes after and naturally follows from. So it is with God's work and our own work. God's work comes first. Our work comes after and naturally follows from and is made possible by his work. So let's take a look and see what it is exactly that we are doing in this psalm. The response in the psalm is, I will fear no evil. If you think back to our discussion of implied meanings, and you remember that a word can have two possible meanings at once, I think that evil does. Evil, of course, has physical implications. Uh, the previous part of the verse refers to death, but it also has spiritual implications. The word evil is very strongly connotated or very strongly associated with wickedness and with a spiritual realm. And both of these things, physical and spiritual harm, are things we do not need to fear. When we talked about implied meanings, we also talked about comparing what the poem actually says with what it could have said. And it's worth pointing out here that the psalmist did not say that no evil will befall me. Instead, he says, I will not fear evil. This implies that Evil will happen to us, we just don't need to fear it. So it's worth thinking about, well, what do we mean by by fearing something? And here, one more reminder to our discussion of implied meanings, we want to think about what we associate that word with in real life. And so I made a list of things I don't fear. I do not fear cleaning my bathroom. I don't fear gnats. I was plagued with some out on the porch today, but I don't fear them. I don't fear roaches. They're gross, but I can squash them and throw them away. I don't fear dentist appointments. They're unpleasant. Uh, they make my mouth hurt afterwards, but I don't really fear them. I do fear things like wasps, which always seem to come flying at me. I do fear ticks, which carry Lyme disease and other diseases that I really, really don't want to get. And so when I think about these things that I fear, we, we naturally fear things that will cause us lasting damage. And for the psalmist to say, okay, 
in light of God's gracious provision for me, in light of the fact that he's coming alongside me, evil can't do me any lasting damage. There's nothing I need to fear from evil. And that leads us to the third stanza. In this third stanza, it's worth noting that we've moved from God's action, what he will do, to our action, what I will do, to the word you plus a verb. The speaker, in other words, has moved from talking about God to directly addressing him. This suggests that the God's gracious provision for the psalmist in the first stanza and the psalmist's response has built up a relationship uh, with God. God's grace enables a, a relationship with him through the lens of his relationship with God, the speaker sees God's action to him as blessing. And I don't want to camp out on the last stanza, but I do want to very quickly run through a couple of the ways that the psalmist sees God blessing him. First, he talks about God laying this table before him in the presence of his enemies. If it's a table, then it's bountiful. There's a lot on it. It's a, the table is laid out and it's full. And then, of course, it's in the presence of my enemies. This is where we would least expect bountiful provision. It would be the least great spot to have a feast. And so even during difficulty and hard times, the psalmist is discovering God's bounty. Second, the psalmist refers to God anointing his head with oil. Uh, this action in the Old Testament is a sign of authority. Kings and priests have their heads anointed with oil. And so the speaker is being made into a king and priest before God, by God. A priest, of course, if we think about what a priest does, a priest is the one who connects the people with God. And so it is through God's gracious provision that the psalmist here is made able to, to reach God and connect with God. Third, the speaker refers to his cup running over. I take this to be kind of a summative statement of the bountiful goodness that the Lord is providing for the psalmist. He concludes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I love that word surely because what happens if we take it away? We become less certain. Surely is an affirmation that the speaker is is absolutely certain of continued spiritual blessing and favor from God through God's grace. And then the final concluding st uh, statement that the speaker will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the word dwell, of course, I do not dwell in a hotel. I don't dwell in a tent when I go camping. I dwell has a a connotation of permanent residence. And so it is through this relationship with God that our permanent peaceful residence with him is made possible. And so this brings us to our final application. Like always, I have two. One is spiritual, one is literary. Spiritually, I think it's worth considering how we are blessed spiritually by God's grace. Perhaps God is defending you against the fear of evil. We will all have uh, evil come into our lives, but through God's gracious provision, it need do us no lasting spiritual damage. Perhaps God has been making spiritual provision for you or feeding you. Perhaps he has been giving you access to him. It's worth taking a moment of gratitude for God's gracious blessing to us. And then second, literarily, 
think about how connecting the different pieces of a passage in the Bible, how fitting those pieces together can help us see how the point of the passage changes or develops over time and better understand what the overall point is. This has been episode four of An English Prof Reads the Bible. We have been talking about Psalm 23. If you like this show, please subscribe or leave us a review on wherever you get your podcasts and check back next time for another episode. Thank you and have a great day.